the Funambulis podcast. Today, a resistance movement against the racist Danish ghetto laws with Armin Mortsten. Welcome to the Funambulist podcast. My name is Margarita Wako and I'm the head of strategic outreach of the Funambulist. With me today I have two Danish activists, namely Marie Nordrup and Fatma Tunsi. A year ago they co-founded an important nationwide association to counteract the Danish government's racist housing policies. Common resistance, in lack of a better English translation, in Danish Elmin Mustam has since its birth united residents from various housing associations across Denmark to organize against current policy making and reclaiming their rights. So thank you both for joining me here today and for accepting my invitation to share your work with our audience at the Funambulist. So firstly, I would like to ask each of you to introduce yourself. Yes, um, I'll start. Um, yeah, my name is Fatma Tumsi, as you said. Um, I'm, um, uh, I've been in Denmark, I've been living in Denmark for around 16 years now, came here as a teenager and got my education here and now I'm uh, working as a biochemist and yeah, a year ago started as an activist in, in Elmin Mustan. So jungling my work with my activism, yeah. Uh, and my name is Marie Nordrop and um, I live uh, here where we are now actually in um, Sequenskjæld which is one of the um, areas that is on the, on the ghetto list of Denmark which we are going to explain more about later on uh, and I'm a student of anthropology um, Yeah, I live here with my partner and a friend and uh, yeah, like Fatma said, like a year ago, we we met up uh, accidentally and also together with some other tenants and neighbors, friends uh, in the areas here, and decided to um, start organizing together. Yeah, and maybe just to clarify, I also live in in public housing, but not in an listed area. So I I live not too far away from here, um, in a public housing area. Okay, thank you both very much for that. So before we'll dive into the tremendous work that you are doing, mobilizing a public opposition against a controversial policy, I'd like for you to fill us in what's at stake. So what's the context and what, what is the background of your work? Um, so I guess we will start from the beginning and, and maybe you can share with us some insights about the Danish housing market. The notion of this rather unique housing model, uh, which is materialized in non-profit housing, public housing, uh, which is one of the legacies of the Danish welfare uh, welfare society, the welfare architecture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so public housing started out um, over a century ago, actually, and some would say even longer. But the public housing that is based in in the workers' movement and the workers' associations. It started out uh, a little over a century ago um, and it's been spreading and, and growing since then in these uh, housing organizations. 
Um, so it's it's a cooperative um, housing associations that are uh, managing uh, these housing um, uh, areas uh, and neighborhoods. Um, and throughout several struggles, um, housing movements um, through the last century, it became more and more um, democratized and, and now we have reached some some kind of um, democratic structure in these housing associations. However, it is still lacking, one could say, but it is um, rather unique in the way that it's structured, that it is non-profit um, housing associations that are um, with some uh, with a, a a great amount of of local democracy and then uh, some structural democracy through throughout these organizations. Um, one thing that is really important to mention about housing, um, public housing in Denmark um, and the role that it has played throughout the last, um, I would say, 40 years, is that they have played a, a great role in, in um, taking in refugees and immigrants and, and also foreign workers who came from countries like Turkey, for example. Uh, because they lack this, um, they they lack the discriminatory um, incentives that, that that the private housing market has. So we have um, Denmark is basically right now a mixture between um, privately owned houses, and then we have private um, what do you call them? Um, private rent housing. Um, there is something, there is some sort of um, shared ownership housing that is a little bit different, difficult to, to explain, but then we have the public housing sector, um, sector which is 20% of the housing market in Denmark right now. Or 20, actually 20% 20 of the population lives in, in public housing right yeah. now. So it's a really big part of how our society yeah. is shaped. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the, the way that um, one gets into public housing is very straightforward, very equalizing. One can say in, in society that you write your name on the list and you wait your turn and then you get offered the house. You don't like it, you say no and then you get offered a new one until you, you get something that you mm -hmm. like that is fitting for your needs, whether it's like close to where you work or uh, fitting in size. And um, it has also had like some kind of social contract with the with the councils and with the state to provide housing for for um, groups in society that need it. So, for example, refugees and um, uh, migrants and um, poor poor people like and poor people and um, people. Uh, homeless people. Mm -hmm. So throughout the last 40 years, it has really played a, um, a great role in in giving housing to ethnic minorities mm -hmm. who that came into Denmark mm -hmm. through throughout the, the years. Um, in, and when compared to the private housing, which, ha which has been shown um, several studies have shown has a very strong uh, discriminatory and racist um, and also of course uh, discriminatory against uh, poor people uh, tendencies. 
Um, so with with this law package that is that we are fighting against now, it's it's basically gonna make the public housing sector um, as discriminatory as mm. the rest, and mm. maybe even more. I mean, we are talking about a, a mass displacement with regards to cities like Aarhus and and Unse. We're talking about thousands of families that are gonna be thrown out of their neighborhoods and maybe even thrown out of the city. I mean, mm -hmm. we have um, a great likelihood of, of them being thrown out of the city based solely on their eth ethnicity and whether or not they're employed and how much money they make. Um, so, mm -hmm. so yeah. Um, yeah, maybe and Marie so can, maybe I can, yeah, maybe uh, I could explain a little bit to, to explain about these laws, this law packet that we are facing. Um, yeah, so so in in March uh, last year, um, there was lounge in the neighborhood just next to where we sit now. Um, there was this huge uh, media uh, spectacle made up um, where the the government and all the it was all the eight ministers of the government. They somehow. Um, forced themselves into the actually common house, a shared house of the neighborhood just next to here, or the estate next to here. Mm -hmm. um, and then they launched this, what they called the um, plan to erase uh, what they define as parallel societies um, by two, uh, 2030. Um, and they have this idea about the parallel society is also like uh, a huge media spectacle that they have made up, that they have made this portray and they have really constructed this idea that where we are now, for instance, and where Müller Park, the place, the neighborhood area, that that, because there's this uh, bigger amount of uh, people from with uh, migrant uh, inheritance living there, um, that they should be living in this uh, parallel society. Mm -hmm. And it's also like really strong connected with a lot of like Islamophobic uh, stereotypes and so on, that we also see many other places in Europe right now. Um, but this uh, this like statement and this plan that they launched was um, is really big, so I can also not explain everything about it, but I can just try to explain um, like some, some of the more foundational things. So they have this uh, public official list of what they call, which is called the ghetto list, mm -hmm. um, and this and the ghettos for them is where the parallel societies are based that should be erased, um, and they define what a ghetto is um, out for um, different criteria. One criteria is like um, the level of educational background. One is like your uh, your employment level. One is like the yeah how many people are unemployed or for how long time they've had connection to the um, how do you say like the working to, to work in markets or and um and then there's this really um extremely like racist um category is what they define as non-western um people that are migrants from non-western countries or their descendants mm -hmm. um and non-western in this case for them is like I think we, when we looked into it more, I think what we have seen is that it's all, it's like most of the countries in the world, and it's all countries in the world where they don't have a white majority population. Mm -hmm. So this, this is like a really racist category, mm -hmm. um, and so 
in the categorizing of what a ghetto area is. They use this category of people and they say that if there's more than um, 50% of this non-Western migrant and descent living there, then it's a, then it's a, a ghetto area. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then the criminal records also will also yeah. be a part of this equation, for yeah. instance, where they also look into statistics uh, mm -hmm. to kind of, to kind of uh, strengthen this, this yeah. idea or this narrative of, of this parallel society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So that is the, the fifth um, of, of the categories I mentioned. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And so, so some of the things that they have launched is that um, by 2030, they, they want these uh, ghettos to like be totally erased and they want to do it by the means of um, making it possible to privatize, to sell off this coming housing sector that, uh, or public housing sector that, that Fatima just explained us about. Um, and they have to do this uh, by changing some rights in the renters uh, rights that we have in Denmark. So now we have a kind of security in our houses that if we have, if you are renter in Denmark, you live somewhere for for two years, you can not just be kicked out. You you have the right to stay there. And in but public housing, you can't be thrown out at all. Like from the first day, as soon as you've signed mm -hmm. your con contract, you can't be thrown out. Mm -hmm. But now they've changed. So it's laws. a huge like precarization mm -hmm. of people who don't have, who are not cannot afford to own their own houses mm -hmm. in general. You can never know for sure that you can keep your house no matter how long time you've mm -hmm. lived there mm -hmm. and with your family and so. And by changing this law, they make it possible to yeah, sell off. Um, so they had this um, plan that by 2030, we have to erase um, family housing with, uh, with 40%. Yeah. So, so so the so each of the areas on on the list on the hard list as they call it, or the whole hard ghetto list, needs to be down to forty percent public family housing yeah. by twenty thirty. Yeah. Yeah. So they want to, and now we see different. Um, there's different ways to implement this, but one way is to like set people out of their homes and then sell off the apartments and just make them private. Mm -hmm. And many other places they want to completely demolish, um, mm -hmm. demolish uh, houses and maybe to sell off the ground to build instead like private owned houses so you can make money out of it. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's also worth mentioning that some of the other measures that is part of this ghetto plan is um, that the, the areas that is on the ghetto list is divided in three lists. One is like vulnerable area, one is ghetto area, and one is a tough get, uh, ghetto area. And if you are in the category of a tough ghetto area, um, then they have this um, policy of double punishment zones, mm -hmm. where if they can make some zone, uh, if you do a crime in that zone, uh, that will be this area, then you will get double uh, penalty mm -hmm. for whatever crime you do, which is like, of course, really crazy that this can even be mm -hmm. a legal suggestion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's, then it's insane. So yeah. we're, we're now talking about a parallel society, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. And then the other thing I think is worth mentioning is also that they want to f make force like mandatory daycare, mm -hmm. where they will target um, like from children that are one years old that you have to go into like a specific kind, not the normal daycare that most people in Denmark are in, uh, but a specific kind of daycare where you have to uh, learn Danish values and become real democratic. 
and they also target the parents in when you read the law that the parents also have to go to special courses to learn about Danish values and so on. And this is also a place where I think we really see like this colonial heritage that it plays on this stereotype that people with the non-West, so-called non-Western background cannot be able to raise their own children. And we have seen also in Danish history how the Danish state have taken away, for instance, Inuit uh, populations, yeah. children from them and so yeah. on. So this is really like one of one of these places. So I just want to also like yeah mention that yeah yeah that's 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 a super important important note to to make also also because this i i think that this whole idea that this that this uh, plan or this this new strategy is is based on like punitive set of rules actually because yeah. that that's that's what it is uh, parents get get uh, get punished uh, financially also yeah. i guess if yeah. if yeah. they if also they don't oblige to to this set of rules yeah um, and also you will not have um, equal access to different social benefits if you if you live in this area so mm-hmm. it's really like creating this zone or this special area that is kind of like exceptional and mm-hmm. like out of out of the law mm-hmm. where we don't have like e- equal rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also an almost perfect mixture of of racism and discrimination and this colonial mm-hmm. way of thinking, mm-hmm. and neoliberalism and yeah. and these very neoliberal values and ideas about private, for profit, uh, rent housing being better than than public housing mm-hmm. which on like on the ground in Denmark it has been shown not to be true because mm-hmm. public housing associations have shown an ability to both build really good public housing manage it quite well not perfectly but quite well mm-hmm. and at the same time bear the social responsibility of actually housing people of actually having housing that is meant to to house people while um the private uh, sector i mean in 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 copenhagen we have um private rent companies who are very happy to keep um uh, an apartment empty if they don't find someone who is willing to f- to pay the high price that they are asking so they're building houses for the um for the um the goal of profit mm-hmm. as opposed to public housing mm-hmm. sector and when you look at them you can't even see the difference i mean in copenhagen mm-hmm. you walk around um you don't really you can't really see on the outside of a, of a neighborhood whether it's public housing or something else because mm-hmm. when it comes to management it's really not different from each other not mm-hmm. much different from each other yeah and also i think that the way we, we can explain like that the way that this um get to plan that it's often called in like media public discourse that um that the way it's been been portrayed and launched is like around this like fantasy of the of phantasm of the parallel society and the the dangerous muslims and so mm-hmm. on and this trope that we all know and uh, and therefore it has also been so difficult for us and that's what we have been trying to do to also turn the the gaze to the economical perspective because mm-hmm. like Fatma explained earlier we have like a 20% of the Danish population living in, in public housing that is non-profit so that's of course is a huge possibility for, for making profit that could be a big market there and we know with Blackstone and so many other companies that there's some really strong forces uh, that really wants to make money on, on, our, on our ground and on our homes. Mm-hmm. 
um, and we think it's so important to to see this link how this economic perspective or the economic like force that is also behind some of this really like a uh, new form of like state racism that we are experiencing yeah yeah I guess I guess this this is also a question about maybe maybe the the welfare state is, is actually in crisis or or how to say because because these houses were provided by the state they were, they were one of the legacies from the state and built during the golden age of the state and then quite early early on they they already be, uh, became like attached very negative uh, symbolism to them and has been reduced to what what we see now and 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 this whole idea of a ghetto list a yearly revised ghetto list these uh, plans for demolition and and so forth the the whole strategy of getting uh, rid Denmark of a parallel society where yeah. where does this actually relate to the, to the ideal of of affordability of of a non-state regulated market for yeah. instance but also what is also interesting is that because it's true that this uh, this kind of housing sector developed while we also saw a lot of like development in the welfare state that was also pushed by the um, the workers uh, movement mm -hmm. in Denmark mm -hmm. that has been and the workers organization that has been really strong historically but it's not talked so much about mm -hmm. but actually it's a really specific or very special relation between the state and this housing sector so that's why when we call it public housing, it's not like public housing in many other countries because actually this housing sector here, directly translated, could be called common housing and it's actually um, cooperatively owned and it's self-owned. It's self so actually the state don't own it, but there is like an economic um, connection mm -hmm. because, yeah, because there they, are some they, sub subsidies also. Well, yeah, the subsidy, the subsidy is thing is actually something that we've been fighting against since we started, that we keep getting, getting this argument that it's subsidized, but actually it's not. So the law is built in a way that there is a trade-off between the public housing associations and, and the, the state. So the public housing association takes off some of these social responsibilities, mm -hmm. taking in uh, homeless people, taking in newly arrived refugees and so on. Um, but um, at the same time, the state provides some kind of security mm -hmm. so that in some cases it would uh, have an obligation to, to subsidize or to help economically. However, this has not been the case for a very long time. The, the public housing sector has been financially viable for a long time so that we've actually been... Um, I mean, in, in the numbers show that we've actually been helping the state by raising some of the social responsibilities of the state. Um, I mean, there is a lot of local mm. initiatives and there is a lot of money that is the renter's money that is collected into a fund that is actually being spent on social projects and mm. and like big renovation projects. At the same time, we see neighborhoods um, where it's like private, um, uh, privately owned housing that get a lot of, uh, of subsidies from the state for mm -hmm. for renovation and for beautification of neighborhoods. We don't get that. We use our own money, so the renter's money is being mm -hmm. given yeah. back to us. So even though the law has a technical subsidy possibility, it's not what's actually happening. But this is something that the state has been... And as Maria mentioned, it's something that we have been fighting, like the the... Public housing came through um, the worker um, 
worker movements and housing movements that have really fought a long time. So politicians were actually not the ones who were smart enough to figure this out, to figure out that maybe we should be building affordable housing to people. It was the housing movement that was always pushing and pushing for more mm -hmm. rights and the housing association that were had to fight to to be able to build more housing because mm -hmm. you're always in a competition with uh, with private companies who are willing to throw a lot of money in a city in Co like Copenhagen private companies private investors are willing to throw a lot of money to buy ground so the ground uh, prices are really high, high so so public housing associations had to fight and negotiate a lot with the with the councils and with the state in order to get um, mm. the right and, to to yeah. build some more public housing and i think the the last biggest wave of housing organization was in the 70s in denmark where the the tenants democracy on the very local level was established so and also with that and they they were really like they were doing wind strikes they were like sabotaging they were making blockades in so many different uh, areas in denmark over like over years so they were really pushing a really hard fight and that established like this tenants democracy to a very like yeah local level where for, from each estate we have our own board who have like really um big decision or big autonomy or a decision to take self-determination or our area and how it should look and direct influence you can just meet go to this meeting and and take this influence and with that a movement a tenants movement in the 17th also came a lot of the the regulations and the, the rights on housing in Denmark and which is some of the rights that they are taken away now um, yeah so that's why we of course are trying to organize but I think mm -hmm. really that this it there's a big absence of a historical consciousness about how this rights and this privilege that we have today and the security that we have to still have some of us today where they come from that they didn't come from the government or they didn't come from some kind of culture from falling down to us from the heaven is because people are really organized and yeah. to claim these rights yeah. and that's of course to remember that historical aspect i think for us is also a driving force because it's also like show that that these possibilities are yeah, that has possibilities for, for organizing and yeah. to push something. So, so building up upon this, uh, yeah, this historical aspect that you describe and, and this, this, this layer of complexity because, because it traces back and, and, and as you say, it's, it's, it's through the organization of, of the, of the residents that, that we kind of have this unique model as we have today. Yeah. So, so building upon this, let's go back one year ago when you when you first came together and the first the first ideas started to take shape. How how did you join forces to to come up with with such a strong uh, organizational setup as you have today? So when when they first launched the the laws, that it was like sending live in all the Danish media. So it was like really this big statement that like now they were in this dangerous ghetto and they were coming to like take control over the government. And so at that day, it was so insane for us to experience like I wake up hearing this helicopter over my house and opening up my laptop, seeing this national news, seeing this live sending from just around the corner. You know, I've also lived in this area before mm -hmm. I moved here. And 
and it was just so insane and I think we were a lot of people who live here in this area and know each other who were just and also the people who lived in Winter Park who were just like texting each other that day and being like this is really insane and what is what is it even we couldn't really we also wanted to look behind this spectacle like what is it so we so we met up and we started to first like print the law and try to like read the law and try to understand what 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 this was about um and then we also met you Fatma who was like really much on the same page as us and we yeah joined uh, yeah joined forces and we launched our we then we made a foundation that is pretty strict but pretty simple mm -hmm. Uh, and we came up with our name, uh, El Nino Mostan, and so on. And so the idea was that we have this very, uh, we cannot really change the foundation, but it's very simple also, and that everybody can take this name upon them and, and use it. Um, mm. So we kind of like launched is as, and we, we yeah. and then we had our first meeting here where there came people from many different areas around Copenhagen and we made a Winters uh, conference, mm. and after that conference, uh, we saw like um, local um, groups popping up also in the northern part of Denmark, uh, Aarhus, where they are really affected by now, and where they have also been organizing so many stuff up there, and really active group. And so now we have, I think, is it ten or seven? I think smaller? it's about ten, seven to ten groups. satellites uh, groups yeah. Yeah. spread around. Yeah. yeah, so people just take this name upon them yeah. and start to organize in their area. Yeah, yeah. and maybe should we also explain our forum? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Us. Yeah, so I can um, tell a little bit about um, the basis for our movement. So we have uh, four simple principles. Um, the, the first one is our homes are not for sale. Um, and one could also add not for demolition um, mm -hmm. so uh, this is a response to to the to the laws um, that are targeting um, all the the homes that are being demolished and, and sold to private companies the second one is to defend the residents democracy which is also under attack um, uh, with these with this law package the third one is equal rights um, which yeah, is equal again, social rights, access, yeah. equal access to yeah. social benefits, and yeah, yeah. Um, and also when we talk about you know zone er, uh, zones where there's double punishment and mm -hmm. where you are forced to put you your your kids in in daycare and and where you you're you're always under threat if you don't behave in a certain way then you can get any social benefits taken yeah. away which is just crazy. Um, and then the fourth one is drop the ghetto list um, and stop racism. So this way of categorizing public housing neighborhoods um, and, and listing them, putting them in list according to these very discriminatory criteria. We're completely against that and, and we want that, that to completely um, stop. Um, and that's our... So maybe I can... And, mention a little bit about the form that we have taken that we're very much grassroots um, and very uh, horizontal organization which in a way is contrast contrast to the way that housing or organizations are built there there is local democracy with the local boards but then you have like um, layers of of um, 
um, some democratically elected um, like representation um, boards, boards and representational um, bodies, uh, which what I've experienced now is that they are actually rather frozen. They don't reflect this lively uh, movement-based housing history that we have. Um, they've become very frozen and very akin to like just sitting and negotiating with politicians all the time and not very willing to fight. And one of the reasons that we have chosen not to be very structured is to actually be able to to get the life back into the housing movement mm -hmm. because we already have some structures. We just have to be able to push them and move them into more um, resistance, you know, uh, to be more willing to resist mm -hmm. uh, politicians rather mm -hmm. than just sit and negotiate with them, especially yeah, when they have a gun to your head. I mean, yeah, exactly. when they have a gun to your head and you sit and negotiate with them, you basically have no power. Exactly. So we're trying trying to bring the power back into the movement to be able to actually have some some bargaining chips and to be able yeah. to say no you're not going to do that it's not that we can sit and and negotiate and if we don't agree then you can just demolish my house that's not the way it works my house is mm -hmm. my home is my home and you can't demolish it and mm -hmm. if you insist then i'm actually going to physically resist that mm -hmm. and resist it through litigation and and other forms and i'm going to stop it from happening it's because we see, um, you know, homes as as just a, a an area where there is no there is no space for negotiation. Mm, there's no space for negotiations. Okay, I think I think this also this this also relates or links to to a conversation that I had earlier on with the, with a gallery based artist Aisha Min, who, who you both met. I I guess yeah, you met her uh, during the panel we did in Copenhagen in March. Um, where where she where she where she was uh, where she kind of described this uh, this new era of of a generational struggle as she as she described it because because of course we have this very formalized structure with with the board the representational board but but years or decades of frustration and hopelessness because they cannot they cannot really do anything uh, about about the constellation as it is right now because they they are constantly losing to to the state to the uh, now 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 I've been I've just been following some some of some of the things going on in Gallup um, with Brabant Boliforening and and so forth. Um, so, 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 to some extent, or it, it feels like there's new spirit or new, new, new kind of energy because you say that that it's on, uh, that it's, um, it's, it's very well reflected, reflected that you that you didn't organize that uh, very, very strict structure mm -hmm. as you did because you because you also need it to be much more flexible or mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah, I. I think I the way I look at it is that um, maybe the previous generations they have been made a lot of promises from from the neoliberal state, especially since the 80s and the 90s, um, that if you work hard and if you do well and if you behave well um, and follow laws and you know all those promises, then you can. Um, make money and you can have um, a, a nice home and a nice life and you know just 
live well um, and I think our generation is just waking up to to the racist laws mm -hmm. and also to the this idea of that you actually don't have the option to fail I mean it, yes maybe you have some opportunities if you succeed but if you take a risk and you fail then you're trampled upon because of the mm -hmm the way that the welfare state is being dismantled by a neoliberal politics. Um, and now we also see the security that is present in, in the housing, public housing sector being dismantled slowly. Um, so, yeah, I think it's maybe just the, the way that our, our generation is maybe slowly waking up to, to this, the, to this, um, to the falsity, I don't know if that's a word, uh, the falsehood of of the neoliberal promise that you can actually work very hard and still be trampled upon because you didn't you didn't succeed in in this competition mm -hmm. society. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you how how you look at it. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree, and I yeah, I really agree with all you said, and also. Um, I hope or that I mean we are still in the middle of organizing and I think we 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 did well and we did for instance like a national uh, demonstration where there was that was really big and mm -hmm. in three different towns at the same time in Denmark and and several had, actions since then and like several a lot of actions, local actions and yeah yeah, uh, yeah so much local actions also especially in Aarhus and so on and I hope that yeah both what you say about the economic perspective and like the access to wealth and like have living a dignified life but also like the that the level of or the level of but like the ways that the racism is so clear and that we now are facing this thing where you actually have like legislation it's not just like st uh, structural um, institutionalized racism as we talk about sometimes this is actually where it's like implemented by law like in the law and that is for me like a and very well, visible and even like flagged like they're have they have it as the actual facade yeah. of, of of the laws it's not hidden anymore yeah. it's very much visible yeah yeah and that is just like a really really scary step because where where are we then if we cannot even chat talk about like um their e rights equal rights by the law for instance i think it's just a really scary step um that i hope that people that's also why people will maybe start like organizing uh, yeah. around uh, now more, and also that we have a like I'm white, so I don't face racism on my body every day. But we also talked about this earlier, remember that I think that there's and definitely like a generation. Maybe Aisha is also referring to this of people who have like is born and raised in Denmark. A lot of people of color who like now is like really like so tired of racism in another level and also maybe really ready to to organize mm -hmm. against it. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you so much for sharing this. Um, so I want to I want to move to another part of the conversation and it's much more about the reception, the public reception. Um, 
of uh, of the work you're doing so personally i have been attending some of your some of your larger events and lately in february but i know for sure that there has been so much more going on i see that on my on my social media account um so you so you're very much active but but just due to my curiosity i would like to know which kind of waves and which kind of signals do these actually send out to the public and to like policymakers and and the civil society i guess because the civil society is also in a very important actor here uh, since we are talking about about constructing narrative uh, narratives and you can you can easily sell off some specific narratives to to the people um, this has been done for the past 40 years the media landscape started a story 40 years ago and it's still it's still the same story that we are telling uh, our children and so forth about these residential areas and these neighborhoods so 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 how how do they actually react to what you're doing and and how what kind of feedback do do you receive back from from the policymakers and and just people in general. Oh, from the policymakers, I think we've only received one kind of feedback. Okay. Uh, we've been told that we're troublemakers. Yeah. <laughs> we're very irrational, unreasonable troublemakers. That's the only thing that, and we haven't even been told that directly. We've just been like hearing, spoken about. Uh, spoken yeah, about. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, but I think, mm. yeah, <clears throat> what we, what, I mean, we also don't expect. Yeah. them to like come and like give a, mm. like recognize us yeah. and acknowledge us from the beginning yeah. of mm. course we want to keep pushing until they have mm. to do but yeah. but we don't expect that from the beginning and then and that was not like the approach we took also because um that's and that's like a point of all this that we need mm. to actually organize and claim some demands and not go into this like negotiation because we can see that that have just failed and that's not how historically that anybody have get their rights yeah. it's not like the politician have sit in the parliament and being like or that mm. the and being like let's give these people of or like <laughs> that the the, the yeah. amount the, the population or the people of the population who owns a, a lot of resources that they have been themselves like giving off of it it has like fair um fair distribution of resources uh, has come uh, from demands and mm. yeah. So uh, maybe I can mention like a little bit of a contrast between the meeting where we met, like there was an event where we met for the first time and the first event that we um, that we organized in, in Elmin Mustan. So the the first event where, where I met Maria and the, the, the other activists that um, that were in, in her group um, it was this classic event that I've been seeing for a long time. So the the state comes out with some discriminatory laws or something happens in politics or the media that is super discriminatory and even racist. And what the the civil society's the way that the civil society responds to it is by having these debate events. So you have a panel of academics and mm -hmm. and of uh, pundits who you know come and talk a lot of big talk and talk about history and talk about politics and talk about laws, and the audience sits and maybe at the end are allowed to just you know ask some questions and then you just say thank you and you go yeah, home. It, it leads to no action at all. No, yeah. none, none at all. And and I was really frustrated with that. I mean, I've been to these kinds of events before and then I got tired of them, so I stopped doing that. And then with the 
um, with this uh, parallel society package or ghetto package when it was announced and I uh, at first didn't notice it a lot because um, unlike Maria I don't live in a listed area myself so I didn't pay attention to it at first but then a friend of mine um, drew, drew my attention to to it and, and I saw like how horrific the the consequences could be and I was looking for someone to do something with um, and and all I found was these um, yeah all these debate events and, and talks and dialogues and stuff like that uh, and I was really I need I felt that I needed to be able to do something and yeah, showed up at this event and then, yeah, so the way that it went as usual, you end up not uh, not leading to any action. So when we started to get together, the, the first um, uh, event that we organized with it was a residence meeting. And the way that the conversation went in that meeting for me was really refreshing and freeing. The fact that we gave space or we had space as residents to talk to each other, to talk about this, the way that we saw things, um, which was very different from the way that the media shows things um, and the way that the politicians like draw a picture of, of how things are. So uh, we talked about our own feelings and the way that we th um, think we should, what we think we should do and had a really long extensive conversation where there was space for everyone to speak out and then ended up like in the end talked about some some um, uh, actions towards having like a larger uh, residence conference to gather more people and raise more awareness about the issue and about the realities um, that are facing us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it was very geared towards organization and, and grassroots activism rather than this just lofty academic yeah. debates, yeah. which have been going on for a long time. I mean, uh, people have been going on the media and mm. several, like a lot of debate platforms and, um, and it hasn't changed a thing I mean the and you the, can also do like a campaign or whatever or like one action or you build a, a, like media momentum around it or whatever to get out a message but I think it's just like so like just as you explained that it's so important mm -hmm. that we build something that we try to do also all the reproductive work of building a movement mm -hmm. which is like long time work where we just mm -hmm. spend time hanging out with each other and talking to each other mm -hmm. and so that we don't just create like one quick uh, event and then it's over mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. then we have to have something that that stays and that lives longer mm -hmm. and that is really um, grounded in some mm -hmm. in some reality in a, like a real organization a real movement mm -hmm. like a real community among mm -hmm. each other mm -hmm. and if we need to if we should challenge these laws then it needs to come from the residents it cannot mm -hmm. also be a little group of activists coming from outside like doing mm -hmm. something and it needs to be really yeah. and advocating it needs to be really grounded in mm. in our neighborhoods mm. and in the community mm. we can create amongst each other and that's of course a big work to do that and we don't know if we can manage but we i think we really feel mm. and from from yeah. our experience so far that this is where the, the possibilities exactly. lies exactly. yeah exactly. so so one thing that we're actually working on right now and we kind of were naturally led into into this because of the way that the law is structured in denmark that if you 
if you um, are threatened by being thrown out of your house or if, if um, the renter, which in this case is the housing association, which has been forced by law to a degree um, to throw people out of their houses, then you have to complain and then that complaint goes to the court. So right now we're preparing uh, for a litig for a for a fight through the courts okay. Um, okay. and and in this um, in this case you see really how important it is that you organize with people because it's very much the pe the residents in those houses who are going to decide the fate of this fight whether it's going to go on mm -hmm. or it's going to stop because there is so much stress that is put on them as as families and as parents um, they want to provide uh, a stable environment for their children, so they don't want to be like in this kind of unstable situation where you don't know if you're gonna be living in the same area, if they're gonna, if their kids are gonna be going to the same school, or if they have to move somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So it would be very easy for them to just give up and say, well, we're gonna let them do whatever, and then the state would do this, um, and and the housing. Uh, associations would would just give up and and you know move people out of their homes and start demolishing houses mm. but it's only by giving them the strength and organizing with mm. them and and standing in solidarity together with them that they can have the strength to stand up and say no I'm not going to give in to this and I'm willing to go through mm. this hard and and long bitter fight in order to to fight not only for my rights but also for the rights of everyone else because they are right now the front line for our housing rights in, in mm. Denmark and if we don't stand stand behind them and give them the resources that they need to pick up this fight mm. then we're just all gonna lose I mean this mm. can keep going on you just have like you just have to create new criteria and keep mm. going and and pull more and more housing areas into this pool of uh, or list but, yeah but but how do you find the strength to continue with these because because i i find it su super important and very unique that you have this whole empowerment approach you're also making some very complicated uh, material available to the most like just going through your website you are you are you're explaining okay these these sets of rules. What does the what do they actually mean? Because mm -hmm. no com no no one can really yeah, understand yeah, them yeah. if we you to, if you just learn to understand them yeah, ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. But 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 how do you then find the strength to to keep on continuing to keep on to 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 keep on fighting when when we, for instance, just this week earlier this week we learned that that three three thousand more inhabitants or residents in mm. in residential areas in Aarhus and Odense, uh, their houses are going to be demolished in the near future. Yeah, mm. I mean we also like I also have weeks where I'm tired. I'm like oh and we are not we lack resources and stuff like this because if, of course it's challenging. We have our everyday life and then we have to find room for mm. this also. But I think what I think is also like. It's of course sparked it because mm. it it was so frustrating to receive this message, and I think also something that it comes maybe from within the like we are we are like tenants ourselves. Mm. So I think that's maybe also something that I feel like you know I live here. I cannot really like forget about it. I cannot mm. really leave it. It's mm. like so present for me all the time, and I know when I talk to people, even there's also like weeks where I'm, where I just you know have my home and go do my to my work or my study, whatever. Mm -hmm. But when I'm in the yard or if I like talk to my, when I talk to my neighbors or 
like do like come and eating together here without with, our, with our neighbors of course something that's on people's mind and people talk about it and people are worried and people are so so tired of the stigmatization and to hearing they feel like so alienated from society yeah. because it's so crazy i'm like watching national news and seeing one of our ministers saying that where i live i'm under some kind of like evil kind of Syria law i i don't blame Syria, but you know the stereotype or what they're creating these extreme narratives uh, and i think people are just fed up with it and we it's also it is also a struggle to keep going on like Yeah, organizing, yeah. but I think we also, of course, try to get energy from each other mm-hmm. and uh, to ask for help and stuff. And then we are just mm-hmm. living inside it, so we cannot really mm-hmm. leave it. We cannot really forget it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the social um, aspect has been uh, a big part of it. So, I mean, we've been working so intense, intensively together and seeing yeah. each other so often. And, and as Marie men- mentioned earlier, we also, you know, sit and eat together and, and mm-hmm. talk about all, all manners of things to the point where, I mean, um, I get blamed by my my regular friends, you know, the ones who are not uh, part of this organization that I they don't see me anymore. <laughs> So it's kind of become a, a regular part of of my life, and even though it can be uh, tiring and, and exhausting, even sometimes you just have to keep going. I mean, I, I work a lot with uh, with the residents in Minnapak, and especially with a group of of um, Arab uh, women living in, in the area, um, and meeting with them. I mean, sometimes it can be uh, really hard because you have to sit down, and I mean, it just we have, because we have chosen not to take this advocacy sitting with politicians and talking mm-hmm. with them route, and instead have chosen to organize with people. You end up having to sit down and and explain very complex um, uh, decision making processes and and politics, and it can be very difficult, especially if you're not an expert in in these areas. I mean, I I'm a chemist. I don't know anything <laughs> about politics and and laws, and I not only have to understand these things, but also have to be able to bring them down um, t- to a level so that everyone is is able of understanding. But at the same time, you meet a lot of nice people. I mean. I ended up being friends with these yeah. with these ladies and and you know sharing a lot of nice moments with them, um, and having a lot of nice talks and really feeling a, a kinship and a solidarity with them, um, to the point where it, it, the fight is not just it, you don't feel that you're not fighting, um, or you you don't feel that you're fighting for someone that is something that is far away from you, but something that is very much close to you and something that. And for me, even though I don't live in in one of the listed areas, but I, I'm starting now to to live through some of the things that you, Maria, have been living through. Because now my, not only my not my neighborhood specifically, but but my the part of the city that I'm living in. Um, is be is now being talked about in the media in the same way that that Nabo has been talked about. It's mm-hmm. being talked about as suffering some 
from some kind of lawless state where where criminals are just you know i mean they're talking about maybe a group of eight um, eight teenagers who have mm. been causing trouble and they talk about it as this huge thing that the police is unable of managing and the state being completely completely uh, incapable of doing anything mm. about and just like this lawless state and and I read this on the page and I cannot recognize it at all from what I live through in my everyday I mean I go outside I see people you know mm -hmm. going about their business having nice lives especially now that the weather is getting nicer mm -hmm. yeah. um, you it's know being outside in gardens and and by the 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 lake and and just you know having nice lives but you open the newspaper and you see your your uh, area being talked about in, yes. in that way and it's just it's it's such a it's such a bizarre feeling that you it's just it makes you angry and makes you want to do something about mm -hmm. it because mm -hmm. it's just you can't accept that yeah. anymore like that kind of de de complete detachment from reality from that, that the media yeah. and and politicians have created um, and and it also I think about it as um, the people who only see our neighborhoods and our areas through the lens of the media and through the, the rhetoric of politicians, they can be turned into, I mean, we're all just working class, you know, people who are trying to make a living and who are trying to just have our basic rights, but we can be turned into enemies by this kind mm -hmm. of rhetoric. Mm -hmm. They can start to see me as an enemy because I look different or, or live somewhere that they don't understand. So it's really important for us to to create these human connections outside of that mm -hmm. of that structure that we we need really need our own alternative ways uh, ways of, of speaking with each other and, and reaching each other as as residents. Um, so, so in one way, this is what I'm hoping Almin Mustan will will start building. Mm -hmm. um, the, this, I mean, it's something that has existed a lot in in Danish history, popular movements and alternative media and stuff like that. But now I think that maybe there is a, a comeback after like a, a maybe a couple of decades of very very new liberal. Um, uh, what a new liberal wave, I guess you could see say that we're seeing now a comeback to to people wanting to organize and and wanting to to have uh, influence and and to be able to participate in the decision making mm -hmm. and reclaim mm -hmm. their own lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Before we conclude uh, here today, I would like to I would just like to ask if you have some final remarks. If there, if there is something you are burning, mm -hmm. telling us, or mm, I don't know. I just mm -hmm. think that yeah, I've just been thinking about your your magazine in mm -hmm. in Funambulis and that I've hoped that I think that has also been really ins inspiring. Also to look at this like. Is spatial, like look at it as like spatial politics also, and like when we are talking now, also see that even though there's so much that the power can work through these spatial structures mm -hmm. and like through creating segregation and like so on, and even though that force is so big, I think with 
these kind of flows, we also see the possibility of, of resistance that it's creating, and exactly like this community that can um, that can be created in our neighborhoods and our areas when we look when we live so close together, and it's just about uh, trying to um, grab that opportunity. Because I could also live here and not talk to my neighbors, but mm -hmm. also to see the the possibilities in these kind of structures for us mm -hmm. to create community mm -hmm. and take care of each other. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and to anyone listening who um, who only uh, who only regards politics in this very you know academic you know debating way, I would like to um, to encourage them to to maybe try to talk more to to norm like you know. Normal people, you know, people who are your equals in the power structure. You don't have to always talk upwards. Actually, it's I feel that it's a lot of waste of of energy to to shout at politicians and or even like try to sit and talk with them because you can just sit and have dialogues and meetings with them for a long time without achieving anything as long as you don't have power on your side. So, you know that lady who's got four kids and a cleaning job maybe and uh, doesn't seem to understand much about politics maybe start having some conversations with her mm -hmm. or you know the the man who's working as a building worker and yeah uh, doesn't seem to to understand much about orga organizing or struggles or you know, politics or anything of that matter, start talking with them. You'll you'll see that they actually understand, but they understand those things in, in terms that are much simpler and much more pungent, mm -hmm. and not so filled with uh, with you know a lot of syllables uh, to a degree that it makes it just almost uh, impossible to understand. Um, so yeah, talk more with people and organize with them. Mm -hmm. That's the I think I really believe that that's the thing that is gonna get us anywhere. Um, not building a lot of organizations whose only purpose is is to talk with those who who have power. Because if you don't have power on your side, if you don't have popular power on your mm -hmm. side, you can't really get anywhere. No, mm -hmm. it's just going to be an exhausting struggle uh, yeah. fight. And also, of course, we should say thank you so much because you yes. wanted to talk to thank us you. and use time on us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a real pleasure for for me to to hear more about your work and more about your thoughts and but also your personal stories because I think that's also adds to to this whole. Um, how also how fragile this whole system is. Um, you 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 kind of start start understanding it when actually talking with with some of the people that it concerns, and not just read about this in the news or what the policymakers are saying. So thank you so much for accepting today, and and I also think that it's it's a nice continuation of the debate we had in Copenhagen in March, where yeah, where I also remember your question, Fatma, uh, or your comment, uh, which which also which also gave like more perspective into the debate, and uh, and I think and I think like having these these kind of conversation, but also make make it available for an international audience, because. It's a Danish fight we are fighting, but 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 I think many many could relate mm -hmm. to um, yeah, to definitely. what's going on here. We are also inspired by 
housing activists, many other yeah. places. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. In a way, so, we're kind of facing the things that they've already faced and, and gone through, and we're hoping that, yeah, that we can stop yeah. <laughs> more yeah. more uh, more of these demolitions than they had been exactly. able to yeah. um, exactly. housing movements in in the US and England Spain and yeah. and Germany yeah Unfortunately I couldn't I couldn't find your website in in English uh, it, or was oh, it yeah. was I, it I'm not sure in that it's <laughs> up in English now no. but that's one of the many things <laughs> we work on Yeah. But but to to our Danish listeners or or people keen of uh, using Google Translate maybe yeah see <laughs> maybe our pictures there's yeah, a lot of pictures exactly. in our exactly. demonstrations yeah it's yeah. like almindmoster.dk yeah yeah <laughs> so I will just direct all of you to to the website and to learn more about uh, Fatma and, and Marie's tremendous work so thank you both thank you. for today. Thank you.